Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Catch Caught podcast. This week, we continue with our series of interviews, and we have Owen on from the Gaelic Woodland Project, um, a charity based in Ireland for creation and protection of our forests. So here's here today to tell us about that. Welcome, Owen. How's your day been? Hello, Kate. Yep, been a great day. Love chatting to you before the before the before you started to record. And uh, looking forward to this conversation as well. Super. So, could you give the listeners a little bit of info on why the project started? Uh, yeah. So the, the the project began in two thousand nineteen. Essentially, the idea was to create a commemorative forest uh, dedicated to the famine. Uh, that was a very simple beginning. We just wanted to plant some trees, started to fundraise, uh, but we didn't really know the the complexities of Ireland's ecological condition. And as we got into it, we realized that this was much bigger than just planting a single forest. So uh, we've grown and essentially as it is, we're going into protected woodlands. We're getting rid of the invasive species. We're fundraising to buy land to create forests. We're also networking with other community groups and empowering other peoples to become stewards of the land to decentralize a community for the restoration of Ireland's ecological inheritance. Yeah. That's it in a nutshell. And whereabouts are you kind of doing the protection? Are you in a particular area? Uh, yeah, we'd, I'd love to be everywhere, to be honest. Um, even there's some forests down in Cork that we're looking at getting to. There's some forests up in Antrim and in Galway and in Wicklow. But at the moment now, we're just limiting ourselves uh, to Meath. So we were in the Kline Manor estate. That's a ancient woodland. Uh, and it has had a cherry laurel infestation for the last 30, 40 years. There was no management plan to get rid of it like most of the forests that we have they've kind of just been abandoned <laughs> no one's really taking care of them the mpws isn't funded to take care of the forests that we have so we went in we talked to the estate owner we went in with the our gear we've removed about an acre and a half of infestation but now we've moved to the hamwood estate which again it's a semi-native woodland but it's over 400 years old uh, some of the trees in there are epic uh, 15, 20 meters tall. So we've removed the cherry laurel infestation, which had dominated the herbaceous layer. So there's there's no grass, there's no flowers, there's no mosses, there's no um, saplings, there's no life beneath these massive trees. So you have this overdeveloped canopy and nothing to replace it. And the, the fear is if you leave an infestation for long enough, when those trees fall, there's nothing to replace it. The succession cycle has ended. But when you finally clear that infestation and you look up at these massive trees, these veteran trees, it is it is awe inspiring, awe inspiring. So we are working there about two, three, two, three we every two or three weeks, mm. facilitating groups of twenty to thirty, and we have little picnics. We remove the infestation and then we claim the place that we've cleared. We have a little picnic there beneath the trees, and we listen to the we listen to the birds and share food together. Mm. And does the seed disperse? Like it's quite a large dispersal, this laurel, you know? So yeah, they have berries and the birds eat the berries and they fly off uh, and they'll drop them. They, they excel in um, rich woodland soil. So that's the real tragedy because these shrubs are actually being sold in garden centers as premium hedging. They, they, they have them on sale for hedging 
even though it's like the most impactful invasive species it's decimating our native forests because of some um bureaucratic uh, difficulties uh they haven't actually prohibited the sale of invasive species uh ireland's just been called to the european court of justice for not doing this they were called in january so uh, people plant these hedges in their garden the birds eat the berries they fly into a native forest they drop them in there and that forest is infected and that's just been happening um so from the site we cleared last year in Kaline, we've already seen regrowth so any best practice dealing with cherry laurel or rhododendron you have to keep revisiting the site to pull out the new because the new the little saplings um they're easy you can pull them out but in time it becomes a monster they grow uh, to the size of uh, tall shrubs so you need to have stewardship local communities watching their local forest caring for their local forest because this requires long-term care to finally rid the infestation and nobody came in to say like oh you can't do that <laughs> you know the way so we found so we've done a lot of research into this the cherry laurel is a shrub it's not a tree so usually you would have um a felling license required for cutting down a tree but it's not a tree it's a shrub uh, birds don't nest in cherry laurel there's been ample research done into a uh, decline in bird population bird species density uh, in these infestations we've been clearing for a year and there's there's no no concern uh, removing the removing these cherry laurels so we have funding from the local authority uh, water program to do this work and we do it as much as we can, but we're all volunteers, so no one's getting paid for any of this. We're just, we find a day off, we have the equipment, we have the methodology, we have the insurance, and we're eager to teach people in the hopes that they'll take it to their local forest. So you, do you have like chainsaws? No, it's all by hand. That's the, that's the great thing about it, it's all by hand, because it's a soft wood, so you can cut it with a saw. We have these really cool Nordic chainsaws, they're powered by people, so, Imagine myself and yourself, Kate, we'd have one end of the chain and we'd have this towering shrub and we'd be working together to bring it down. It's a real bonding experience and spectacular when they come down because there's nowhere else you get that kind of experience. Very empowering. Um, and because there's no machines, it's, there's kind of stillness and there can be song and there can be talking and it's not audibly offensive. It's, it's actually quite pleasant. To be out there to hear the work of all these people wow maybe i'll come up and help someday do please please but oh or we'll come to you there's a forest outside cork city that we're looking at as well oh, super. It's a little infestation yeah. i know the one you know glen bower do you know that one yes i do is that south of cork it's killa it's east east of cork East of Cork. I, I think that's the one. I think that's the infestation that we're that looking at. That has big chunks of laurel, like massive, like, and there's huge trees and there's big beaches. You know, there's actually a beehive in one of the beech trees. Like, it's unbelievable forest. It's amazing. Would it, these days, would it be quite rare to find a beehive in a tree? Yeah. Because I always think beehives, they're in one of these boxes, but they're, yeah. they're supposed to be in trees, right? They should be, but sure, we've no native cover and the the old trees very rare to find them but yeah like they say only one in six survive in the wild so it's much more rare that's why we give them boxes i mean as a beekeeper i would much prefer if we could have them in trees and they could live happily ever after 
but like the majority of the time they're going into the eaves and of houses and attics and mm. they're going down through chimneys and door steps and then people are ringing up trying to like you know get them out because they're afraid of mm. their kids and they're afraid of stings and then this is why we do all the boxes so yeah but they, they're happy out in the boxes as well you know give them a nice home and you know that connection of human to be it's like gone on for millennia you know it's like there's always been a connection between man and bee you know it's 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 been in all ancient civilizations so i'm just trying to continue it on (laughs) (laughs) well you have you have your hammock over the bees don't you yeah have you ever ever been stung yes i have i actually had to collect a swarm on sunday days today tuesday sunday night I got three phone calls, swarms. One was in the eaves of an attic. One was on, I don't know, the side of a house. And one was in a bush next to a load of horses. So um, Kate was called and I was like on my mission. So I got into my car with my suit and my stuff. And um, so at the moment, for anybody listening, basically the queen bee is giving birth to a new queen. Um, So she, the bees multiply every year if the colony is healthy and strong. Like everything in nature right now is multiplying. Um, and the queen, she could even like start laying six queens, like, and then it's survival of the whoever's the strongest, you know. And and when the new queen is born, like, if she's the strongest, she can actually go around to all the other queens while they're in their cells about to hatch, and she can sting them all and kill them. Wow, merciless. Yeah. So yeah, so that's what's happening at the moment. So that's why we have these swarms. The queens are giving birth to new queens, and then they're like, oh, no room for you here, so they have to head out the door. And the queen, they're literally pushing the queen out the door. They're all going out together and they take a rake of honey with them and they fly up into the sky. And if you ever get to see a swarm, it's the most miraculous phenomenon you could ever see. Um, I they, they mark you for life. Like I can remember every single swarm I've seen and caught and touched. And it's just phenomenal. And they usually lay on the tree. They go onto the tree normally first before they find their home. And um, scout bees then all the different bees in the hive have different roles. So you have scout bees who find the new home. So they go off and find the home. And like you can go into the, I love going into the ditch just before I'm going to put them in a box or their home. And I just put my hands underneath them and it's like touching the whole universe. It's amazing. You keep, it's just, it's actually, you just can't explain it really. To be honest. It's just amazing. Oh, wow. Um, and then you give them their box. I gave them their box. I put them in. There was two horses next to me watching me the whole time, like, and then the owner was like, I'm just afraid my horse will get stung. And I was like, it's okay. I'm giving them their home. So I put them in the box. It was a very easy job. I got one sting, just one. So that was great. And I got the queen and I brought her home. And um, I've put them in a new location just next to, I'm, I make, I've actually planted a, a little kind of wildflower meadow of native perennials. So I've put them there. So I'm hoping like maybe that meadow will come up and um, they'll be happy out doing the good work yeah so yeah so the other two high the other two b kind of phone calls i couldn't really solve because like i'm not going into the eaves and doing a big huge massive job that would mm-hmm. require like plaster and all these people so then they have to go for more i suppose skilled people because you know and i always well, tell people you know they call me and the swarm is there. Like there was a guy last week and he's like, there's a swarm in the garden. And like, yeah, he was like, I'll call you back later tonight and we'll we'll sort it out. And I was like, no, like, uh, he was like, I'll sort it out later tonight when I'm home. And I'm like, no, no, listen. I was like, that swarm is going to move. Like we need to act now, like it's going to move. And people, 
it's just like re-educating people that like this these bees are going to move into somewhere permanent and when they're permanent they ain't moving and that means mm-hmm. extermination if you really want them out and we don't want to do that so like that guy did like left them there and i and and sure like i said look they might go into your like chimney the eaves of your attic and then that's going to be a way bigger job and it's going to be very expensive so i was like you know just tell me the postcode and the guy just he didn't care like you know yeah even, even though like these bees are absolutely fundamental for the for the environment and not just for the environment for for, for farming uh we're all a part of the the ecosystem that they sustain and uh, so you have many people that come down to you do you find that there seems to be just a an innocent ignorance as to what bees do and how significant they are absolutely so, bees and birds you know? So with that, do you, do you have that moment of like revelation when people realize like, what, this is what the bees do. This is what they're like. Do you, do you see that when people come down to your oh, farm? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, and it's everything like, you know, I do bits of in my workshops. I also talk about like, do you know, whatever is in season, what they're foraging, what's happening with the plants, herbs, just little bits of everything. Um, because we can look at nature and look at bees, like what they're doing to learn a lot. So like every week, every week of every month of the year like we learn how nature flows because the bees are going there for the nectar and it's like it's just like it's amazing like when you learn about it but absolutely like even the other day I was giving the kids um um like beans you know beans that were grown Mm -hmm. and it's like for them realizing that like their seeds you know they just have this light bulb moments oh my god that's a seed or like when I explain how honey is made and the nectar and pollination how dependent we are like foods you know i was like you know almonds are solely dependent on bees like we do not we will not have almonds without bees we will not have 80 you well, know but 85 to 90 percent bees go if pollinators go we won't have 85 to 90 percent of all flowering plants trees whatever it'll be it'll be gone the, the planet mm-hmm. will be black and yucky you know it mm-hmm. won't be nice so like all this beauty that we see seeds flowers colors like it's pollinators and it's like we don't have that connection at all you know i i think we we should i think we should i think so when i think of bees and pollination i think of worms in the soil and i think of us so we're kind of in between that we are supposed to be the custodians and the stewards of the land and i think that's a really old idea that we've forgotten um i don't (laughs) want to pontificate but (laughs) uh, like adam and eve right they were put into the garden and i like to think they were gardeners. That's what they were supposed to do. That's like our divine profession. We're supposed to be gardeners of, of Aaron, uh, gardeners of the world. Uh, and I think the fact that we're putting boxes up for bees, when the bees need boxes, we put in the boxes. When we look at the barn owl, similar situation. They live in crevices in uh, oak trees, beech trees, but there's not many of those old veteran trees left. So we have to put up boxes for the owls. We're planting the wildflower meadows. We are cultivating nature and in doing so we have like just like the bees pollinate we actually have a really important role even if it's to regulate our own power our own negative influence on the land we actually have a responsibility to positively influence the land and i think a lot of people are starting to realize that it's better to be a positive and there's an empowerment in that positivity yeah definitely yeah um and as well like even there's a moment when I explain about the honey, like the jar of honey, and I explain mm. to them how the honey's made, and their mouths are just like, 
And I'm always like, this is not jam. This is not marmalade. This is the work of like thousands of bees. And also like in each jar, like I have these kind of jars like this size, um, smaller jar than you'll say your jam jar. And there's like about 1.5 million flowers in the jar. That's incredible. <laughs> I know. What? And, and I still it, don't I, get it. You know, I am I correct in saying the bees that make the honey won't live to enjoy the honey? So in the life cycle of a bee, they'll make honey for the next generation yeah. and they're eating the honey from the previous generation. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Because the summer bee only lives five weeks. It's a real selfless organization and community and they're a super organism. Um, and it's like we look at them and you know, some people think they need to manage them really heavily and stuff. And I'm like, the bee has lived for 130 million years. I'm sure they're fine without us. Like, obviously, it's important that they have homes and biodiversity, but like some people overmanage or, you know, like the bees are strong. Like they have all mm -hmm. the medicine from nature. They have the propolis, you know, which is like sterilization. Like everything in the hive is just unbelievably medicinal. You know, they're mm -hmm. incredible. They've survived like, cataclysms and everything you know it's it's unreal so like we shouldn't doubt like how powerful they are like they've literally built this with with all not just bees like with all the other levels of this ecological intelligence like with the flowers and the fruits and the seeds like the whole system is operating together and it's like we need to mm -hmm. stop interfering you know so they're so intelligent <laughs> you know i know i know it's like natural intelligence um i was I was listening to someone from the MPWS, uh, Anya O'Connor. She gave a very powerful speech. Uh, she was doing a lecture in, in Trinity College, and she said, uh, when you look at the interactions in ecology, the, the myriad of different interrelated uh, relationships, it's like rocket science. It is beyond our understanding. It's beyond our comprehension. And I've seen just the food web of interactions between invertebrates and flowers in a, in a, in a grass meadow it's mind-blowingly complicated and that's in a field you're not even talking about the hedgerows you're not talking about the climate you're not talking about all the other mammals and avians that are going to be coming through mm -hmm. between different habitats also looking at the water most of the planet is water and um, so there's a great line like nature is not more complicated than we think it's more complicated than we can think mm -hmm. and it's just like seeing a river flowing downstream we know it flows downstream and we need to in regards to that restoration work with that flow don't try reinvent the wheel and force the water back up top mm -hmm. allow it to flow the way it's supposed to go because you have this ancestral and a uh, evolutionary intelligence that we need to trust we need to trust that Nature knows how to take care of itself. We just need to create the space for it. And mm. just like putting up the bee boxes. Absolutely, yeah. And it's like that. I think that ancestral thing is coming alive again. Again, like, you know, of like, no, I know what to do. And like, you know, it's like, it's like when you tap into it more and more and become more sure of yourself, then you know that that's the right way, you know? Like, as in, I know... I know like some people, <laughs> some beekeepers like mark their queens with like this kind of special pen. That might be controversial to say. I don't do it because I don't want to put that on a queen bee. Like I don't agree with it. 
I mean, a lot, most people do it. I don't agree with it. And that's like my instinctual knowing, you know, I don't think it's right, you know, mm. but like it's for everybody to really tap into that place in ourselves of like, we know what to do. And once we go back to the, the older way, uh, maybe of our like our grandparents, our ancestors, like all of all of what we need is there. You know, we don't need to keep looking on the TV or the phone or asking around. We actually know it, but it's just we need to get a little bit quiet. Um, and the trees can give us the quietness, huh? It's the stillness. Yeah, yeah. It's God, you're so right. And uh, I'm, lo I'm loving this conversation, actually, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> The stillness, yeah, it's hard to get that in Dublin now. It's really hard to get that uh, in the city. You have to make the effort, um, but it's something that I'm seeking. So I'll be finishing my master's in the next few months. I'm doing some research now. It's kind of taking everything. But afterwards, I really want to just make that time to be still, mm. to be still. I, re I reminisce on days in Ballycotton when I used to wake up in the morning and pick my nettles and my cleavers and, and I'd make my little morning tea. Like that little ritual stillness in the morning it's precious it's precious mm. and it creates space for inspiration and creativity absolutely absolutely yeah yeah it, it just comes through it just comes through doesn't it mm. um and what are you what are you studying or finishing oh it's it's so fitting i'm studying uh, rewilding post-productive landscapes so specific to the irish context so i'm trying to figure out a efficacious way of restoring Ireland's ecology with a multifunctionality that will allow it to survive. So, for example, if we consider rising populations uh, and uh, food security, we could plant a forest today, but perhaps in 20, 30 years, that forest will be cut down because we need the wood, uh, we need the land for food. So if you create a multifunctionality, like, no, that forest is really significant because it's actually doing other things as well. Um, that will preserve it so my idea um spoiler it'll save you reading the paper and uh, my, my idea we have um 350 patches of ancient woodland left and they're very small and isolated um but they have our seed banks uh spore banks from plants that are genetically evolved to be on this land so my plan is to strategize the expansion of forests by working with farmers adjacent to those areas and then connect those patches along rivers. And um, the purpose of that, if you plant trees along a river uh, with a buffer of say, ideally 30 meters, but they work, you know, set six, seven meters as well. It will actually absorb the nutrients coming from the farm before it gets into the water. So imagine the nitrogen, the phosphorus, the potassium, e even pesticides and herbicides can be absorbed by these plants before they get into the water. So we can use that to protect our waterways while simultaneously connecting our isolated patches of uh, forest. Mm. That's kind of the idea. So uh, working on that now, I'm looking at successful rewilding projects in the UK, business models, because we really need to work with the farmers. We need to work with the landowners. I find that when you talk about environmentalism, there seems to be a holier than thou pontification that I know what's right. We have to do this and we have to do that. And like, there are so many families, so many families that are reliant on the land. They're connected to the land. They're not urban beings. They're rural. <laughs> they know the land. They grew up there. We need to 
empower them and work with them to restore the land in, again in a decentralized in a decentralized approach i believe fundamentally in the empowerment of individuals and communities to take care of their own piece of land so there's a bunch of things happening in the uk very exciting rewilding projects and uh, innovative ways to to finance them as well so i'll be working on this now until september publish it and uh, hopefully with a map as well to to kind of Hopefully the government will listen to me. They never, they, they very rarely do. Uh, but I'm going to give it to them. Like, look, you got, you got carbon targets. You got to take care of your water. You got tree planting targets. This map, do it in this way, and you'll achieve a multifunctionality where you can hit synergies, uh, save money, and do do it in less of a haphazard kind of way because that's really what they're doing. They they don't have a, a landscape vision. They're just ticking boxes to the detriment of posterity. Mm. And would you think like saplings versus big old oaks and whatnot next to waterways, obviously more is going to be absorbed in the older tree, right? Well, there's actually the newer trees will absorb more than the older trees. Really? Yeah. So well, have actually happened with riparian buffer zone. It's called a riparian buffer zone. Eventually, they'll need to be cut down and replanted because there's a period when they're very, very good at gathering these nutrients. But again, that provides a resource for the farmer, you know? So you can have this uh, cooperative approach where you have 20 kilometers of river that's going through an area of intensified agriculture. You can plant a number of different trees and shrubs, different kinds of pollinators, fruits, nuts. And then in uh, 30, 40 years, you can cut down, selectively cut, the larger trees, you can take them away as a resource, provide a fund of uh, uh, money to the farmer, plant again, and that's the kind of maintenance that you need for an effective riparian buffer zone. Um, so that that would that would be that'd be my way of of like yeah. kind of providing secondary income for the farmer while getting them to do this. <clears throat> and do you know, like you know, the plantations? Is there any way that like I know they're normally on contracts for like a few decades, but do you think in time, like if things massively shift, I don't know, I have this feeling inside in me that things are going to like shift a lot in the next decade. I feel like, I feel like a law will come in and be like, you can't cut these trees. Like you can't, you know, do you think? Which, which, you which trees, which, which trees though? No, I just mean like plantations and like, you know, obviously they're due to be cut down, but like, mm -hmm. I feel like things are going to shift in the next couple of decades that like, I'm like, how are they going to still be able to do that? You know? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the conifer trees, the conifer plantations, they're, they're not native. Um, I'm actually quite a controversial environmentalist. Um, and I, I, I'll, I'll tell you why, and I'd love your feedback on it. So um, these conifer plantations, they don't actually provide any functional biodiversity and they're permanent evergreen, there's no herbs. There's a few uh, mushrooms that will grow and some ferns that might grow, but you don't really have enough forest resources to support wildlife, bees as, as well. Um, and these forests, they make up 68% of our uh, forestry. So 68% of our forests are ecological dead zones. Um, what's more, 40% of our forests are on peat and peat is supposed to be a wetland so I'd be of the opinion where we need to actually consider cutting down 40% of our forests, re-wet the peatland, 
um, and then kind of start again. Um, mm. I know we need the conifer plantations to provide a commercial timber. I, I recognize that. I think the forestry sector employs 18,000 people, but most of this timber is, it's not valuable. It's chipped and turned into sawdust, mm. turned into MDF board. Um, so I replant the forest with hardwood, with a long-term strategy of yeah. uh, harvesting hardwood, uh, like Irish oak tables. Now I know if you're gonna do this, it's gonna take 80 years before you can actually harvest it. Mm. But during the 80 year cycle, you're going to have a functioning forest. Mm. Uh, and if we did that, I think Ireland would actually be in a much, much better position than we are right now. Because right now we have forests, we're ticking boxes, but they're not forests, they're plantations. I know. I've seen I've seen the mushrooms in the autumn like there's lots of them but the forest floor is like there's nothing there but there are there like we have ones here and they're sycamore birches and alder and larch mm. it's a yeah kind of um, that's great and that was popular but that's not popular anymore I think ever since the 1970s it's been leaning more into the Sitka spruce like 100 percent Sitka spruce but I know the larch and lodgepole pine and they have these like mixed woodlands which i think is it's a fair fair medium yeah yeah because there's yeah there's one here like that and there's actually oaks in it as well and it's actually other things all around the sides like oaks and cherries and the birds have just done their things it's great um yeah um it's amazing um what what wonderful work um so when is your next kind of work day or what are you planning to do we're going on a hike uh, on the 3rd of June um, we're going to be walking around uh, the Vale of the Vale of Clara and we're going to have some herbologists there and we're just going to like look at the different plants as we walk around this native woodland and then the next metal we haven't actually we're a little bit unsure of the day it's going to be some Sunday in this month and we're going to go out and we want to do as regular as possible but if people look at our social media social media if you look at that thing uh, you'll see that there's actually a link to a discord channel and in the discord channel we have different streams of communication for like fundraising and uh, for metals that's when we go out and remove the invasive species and for just kind of discussion as well and mm. uh, to share knowledge because i feel like learning how to work together mm. is fundamental that that is what binds us all together that's where we get our power from if we learn to work together and if one if this generation does one thing and learns to work together then we're setting a very good foundation for for the next generation definitely like every i all i'm always looking at all the other species like you know i'm always looking at them and i'm like wow they really are all together and then i look at us and we're like wanting to be on our own and like you know we're just yeah like an amount of solitude is beautiful but then it's less like we need to learn how to open our front doors and be like, you're my community, you know, because um, all the other species do it and they don't carry all this shame and embarrassment. And, you know, it's like, yeah, we have to work on ourselves <laughs> and just oh, copy, copy the animals. There's so much work to be done. Myself, myself included, like no one's no one's perfect. Um, <laughs> we got to take care of ourselves. We have to love ourselves and be able to connect with other people. Um, and trust that other people are going to be they want to be connected with yeah. like I've, I've had some moments where I thought someone didn't like me you know and then I realized after it's like no they're just 
afterwards, after actually getting to know them, they were just a little bit shy. Like, God, God, give people the benefit of the doubt. It's worth it. Like, you make a good connection with somebody. It's it's really worth stepping up. And like, I'm going to instigate this conversation because that person might be unable to on this day, just like I mightn't be able to on another day. Exactly. And to make those friendships, make those connections. Mm-hmm. And, well, we're t- like, just like we, you're talking about the bees. I don't know. Like, what you know is absolutely invaluable. Uh, to to this land and to this community so for you stepping into that space and be like i am willing to share this knowledge with you i can i can talk about the trees we've got some fantastic people who from we've just connected with from Birdwatch. they know so much so much and it's like if we all come together and share these things we can design the landscape in a way that serves both ourselves and wildlife and we can create something we have to heal the wounds of history the land isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's our duty now to to sow those seeds. And it's it's going to be a lot of fun, you know, if we just allow ourselves to really get into it. Yeah, it's definitely happening. It's already happening, you know. Um, mm. And I was going to ask, um, well, actually, two things I was going to say. One was, it's amazing, like, uh, when I collected that swarm Sunday night, um, the farmer said to me, he was an old farmer and he has donkeys and he knows so much about nature. And the lady up the road was saying, can you go down and put him on your podcast? Because that knowledge will be lost. You need to go and talk to him. And I said, OK, yeah, I'll, I'll try to come on. I was like, would you like to come on? He's an old man. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah would you? So I might get him on. But he was like telling me that over the years, there was two other men who were like doing the bee jobs. And he was like, he was like, I don't know anybody now. I was like, he was like, I literally only know you. And I was like, that's mad, isn't it? Because most beekeepers are actually men, like 73 quarters in Ireland are male because like in prehistory or something, they said the boxes were too heavy. Anyway, look, I'm after building up my biceps now. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it, it can be hard work, like climbing stuff and climbing trees and everything. Yeah, yeah. But he, it was interesting because he said that to me and I was like, oh my God, what? Like, how could you not know anybody? You know, I was just shocked. And it's like, we need to have these connections, you know, we can't lose it. And like, that's what the podcast is about as well. Um, and the other thing I was going to ask was, um, yeah, what's your favorite tree? Um, I love that story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> people, people ask me, yeah, what's my favorite tree? It's really hard to say. It's really hard to say. I feel like it's the, uh, it's the oak. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's the oak. Um, it supports so much life. Uh, I love when you have if you ever see a really really old oak there'll be ferns growing out of its branches out of its limbs maybe you've seen these they're like if you go to Glengariff forest which I don't think is too far from you you can see some of the oaks there they've got like these hairy beards because they're covered in ferns these are like polypody ferns and I just love looking up because it's like a whole world up there when you have an old oak like there could be squirrels there could be owls there could be bees who knows and uh, you have all this life like that's not for me i can't get up there i can't. <laughs> maybe when i was younger i would have been able to but it's like it's a whole world up there in the canopy and i just yeah, i get mesmerized by it mm-hmm. and i think you know even putting your back to it and just staring up it just you transport it aren't you mm-hmm. yeah it's like, it looks it looks like the lungs doesn't it like the, bron- the bronchioli absolutely. of the lungs when you see it it's absolutely uh, gorgeous yeah yeah um there's oh, i just had a question there actually 
I actually have acorns that I sat last year and they've come up, but there's one acorn in particular and there's five kind of shoots coming out. And it's like, it looks amazing. And I'm like, maybe you can tell me what's going on. Like, is it just got so much power? That sounds like magic to me. <laughs> I put my DNA on it. That's the trick. That's the special sauce. Because <laughs> so... <laughs> I have a second. I actually have three. So the yeah. other one then has two shoots, but the first one has five coming out. And I'm like, what is <laughs> going on? That's, that, that sounds mythical. That really sounds like a magical tree. Mm -hmm. Where'd you collect the acorn from? Um, it was from a friend, maybe lives like 15 minutes away. But we sat acorns and haw like the hawthorns. Um, but the yeah, the hawthorn takes, is it a year and a half? Oh, I'm not too sure. Yeah, I think it sure. takes about three seasons or four. Anyway, because I was like, I think they're, they think it's just not working. And she was like, no, 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 that takes a long time. That's why we should never touch the hawthorn. And I was like, okay, because the oak came up like within the season. You know, I, I sat it like last August or September and it's up now and it's, uh -huh. they're, they're gorgeous. Like, I mean, I'll have, to, I'll have to just get a picture of it like because it's amazing. Well done. Well done. I, yeah, look, I look forward to seeing this five shooted oak. Yeah, I'm like, wow, where am I going to plant it? You know? That's a significant, yeah, you need to plant that somewhere significant, I think. Um, sure, there's lots of little spots in Cork. Yeah, can, sure, I have them on the farm. I'm planting trees in the hedges and anywhere I can get space there to plant stuff, you know, I'm just planting them. And it's it's amazing. Like I do this thing on the workshops. I bring people around, show them where the trees have taken over. And it's really amazing because it's like the more I've stayed at home now, the more I've really gotten to know the space because always I was running away, going to things. And now I've been like, stay still and watch, watch the same places over and over and see what's happening. And it's amazing how much more connected I am to it. Like there's a space on the boreen where it's literally ashes. And there's like two pallets literally below the ashes and the pallets have now grown like, I used to could be like 50 ashes in them. Like it's unreal. And then there's like all the back section where I grow food and, and it's all elms that surround that. And the elms are so healthy and so strong. And like they were the first flowering. And like when they came there in the spring, I actually was like, wanted to cry because I was like, oh my God, like it's so much, so much hope comes back in your body, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and then like there's a couple of beaches that are just really big and strong and the sycamores then just have they just explode in their own space and then there's loads of cherries in one area and it's like they all have their little areas where they're like hanging out like little families and then yeah. it's just getting to know it more and more and like the birds as well like they all have their little areas you know like the swallows are in the shed you know the pigeons are in the other big shed and then like the blue tits are down there and like they've like it there there's a real importance of actually staying still in your own space and watching it because I wouldn't have noticed all these things before I was always running away you know and mm -hmm. it's like I'm really connected to it now and I, I almost can't I can't go I'm like on a cord as in when I leave I'll go for a few days and I'm like oh I have to go back I have to go back you know it's like I'm detaching from my family members you know <laughs> they're like mm -hmm. come back Gate, come back and and even when I come back I always get this welcome of like like we're here, like waiting for you, you know. And I'm like, oh, you know, beautiful. But it's deep, like. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're 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 investing into your own experience of it. Yeah. Like I'd I'd liken it like if you go to an art gallery and you're just like running through all the paintings, um, yeah, 
<laughs> I saw every painting in the galleries. Like, yeah, you really see them. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you actually stop and look, like, wow, there's there's a lot more going on here than uh, than I initially thought. And I'm delighted that you have that space where you can actually. It sounds so biodiverse. It sounds like you've got a lot going on down there. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, but you know, there is there's always a but. Like, there is a lot of intensive farming, you know, because it's flat land. It's really good flat land so um that's there too but i just take my space that i have and make it the best i can you know mm. and keep those conversations going um you never know like because this old farmer that you were saying with the donkeys and he he remembers what the land was like before agricultural intensification yeah. i imagine yeah. and i've met a few farmers that when i talk to them about like water pollution they don't care yeah. it's not their language yeah. But when I talk about oh, what was it like when you were growing up here when you were young? Did you used to fish here? And then they'd be like, Oh, I used to fish trout with my father here. It's like, oh, that's, that's marvelous. And then are there trout here now? And they're like, Oh, there's no trout here now. Mm. And through those kinds, through that kind of conversation, you can actually like start turning lights on in their head. Where are the trout gone? Yeah. Why can't why can't I fish anymore? So mm. just by doing what you're doing, I imagine there's a few farmers, neighbors that are looking in and they're kind of like appreciating that especially the older ones because they would recognize the bird song they would recognize the flowers from their childhood mm. and those memories are very powerful and we need to as you say with the podcast keeping that knowledge it's a great way to almost to justify having the conversation like if you just walk up to an, an older man like, oh would you tell me about your childhood <laughs> but if it's we're doing a podcast we're just we really just want to look at your life because you've seen the landscape change. We want to have a conversation with you. We're really interested in you. And you give them that like witnessing, then things will start coming out. And I look forward to that. I look forward to that conversation. Get him on soon. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a sense of loneliness as well. Like these old men had very active lives where they were working 24 seven and they suddenly, their bodies get a little bit slower and, you know, they want to talk about their past, you know. He was he was actually called down and he was like, oh, I was telling him about the blackbird that's there every night with me, you know, when I'm working. And he's like, oh, the blackbird, yeah, the blackbird. Do you know what I feed him every day? I put out the apple and I cut it in half and he comes down and eats the apple. He loves the apples. And I was like, oh, I'll do that later on today then. <laughs> Literally one nugget, you know. Yeah. It's lovely. I bring them in. Honour the elders. Honour the elders, you know. We'll get that cracking. Um, yeah, so is there anything else you'd like to share for people, maybe if they'd like to get involved or anything like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. So w w for the time being, we're limited to, to Meath, but if you can make it to Meath, join us for the Mel. We're very inclusive and uh, we, we want everyone to come. And uh, it's kind of, like a, kind of like a litmus test. If you're there in the forest, we usually do it on a Sunday. You're there on your Sunday morning to take care of the land. So everyone in the circle has given up their Sunday morning and probably their Saturday night to be out there. So it's a really good group of people. Um, and if you want to help us plant a forest, we're fundraising now. We, I think we've raised 32,000 euro and we're saving up. I know, <laughs> I know. We raised 18,000 in three months. Um, so it's, it's really taken off and we're going to use that money to buy all of it. All of it is going to be used to buy as much land as we can. And that's going to be used to create a forest to commemorate the famine. And everyone who helps is invited to, everyone who donates is invited to join in that foresting and they'll actually get a plot of land as well. So you'll get a plot, your family plot. 
Uh, so if anybody wants to get involved, please uh, share and give what you can. Uh, it all goes towards buying the land. So. Wow, that is amazing work. Well done. Yep. Amazing. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for coming on. Pleasure. Folks, Loved it. Thank you. Folks, if you like this episode, can you please give it a share? And all the details will be in the show notes. And patrons, thank you for supporting every month. If you can contribute and help me on my mission, conservation and biodiversity, please go on to patreon.com slash catch caught. And I'll talk to you all very soon. Sloan. <laughs>